Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lion of Land Ministries, and I want to welcome you to Shabbat Toledot. And our Torah study for this Sabbath uh, comes from Genesis and uh, chapter uh, 25. And whereas in the previous portions we had been looking at the life of Abraham and how Isaac was born and the Akita, the binding of Isaac, now it's going to shift, and you would think we're going to spend a bunch of time talking about um, Isaac, since we talked a lot about Abraham, but it turns out that this one portion is the only one that really addresses some of the things that happen in Isaac's life, other than with his father Abraham. And what will follow is it's going to rapidly move into the story of Jacob and his brother Esau, and for the remainder of the book of Genesis, it'll be speaking about Jacob and him going to live with Laban and then coming back and about his sons who are born and just before they go down into Egypt. And of course, Exodus picks up from when they're in Egypt. So it's always struck me as kind of interesting how much part of Genesis is committed to the different fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And with Abraham, there were several portions. There's quite a bit of material that's given to us, dialogue, interchanges. But when we get to Isaac, the, the amount of Scripture that's used to describe his life and what's going on is significantly diminished and smaller, whereas Jacob is then elaborated on and much information about it. We see a macro-level pattern, if you will, between the three fathers as reflective about God himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And just as you think about the ages, all of the, the time that has gone on in the Bible, you know, God the Father has taken up a very large amount of time. Uh, then we have the Son, Messiah, Yeshua, and the Messiah come, and he's there for his lifetime, just for a generation. And then what follows is the work of the Holy Spirit, and that's what's been going on for the last 2,000 years. So it seems like the Torah is following the same pattern, and the story of the God revealing himself seems to follow the same pattern as that of the Torah of the three fathers. I, I want to just simply take note of that, uh, because our portion is entitled... Toledot, which means generations, and it comes from the verse in verse 19 of chapter 25, where it says, Now these are the records of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and it goes on uh, to explain about Rebekah and so forth. Now the word Toledot is interesting because it is feminine gender. It's not the male gender, so we're not talking about the male generations, we're talking about the female generations. Here's the logic behind that. The male is not the one who bears children. It's the female who bears the children. So when we're talking about those that have, been, have come forth, it was really by the work of the wife, the mother, uh, that it did. You know, just as we said from the very beginning, if you want to build a house, a man wants to build a house, he takes a bride. It's the bride who actually builds the house. So when it comes to the generations, 
of a man, it's the work of the mothers and the accomplishment of them. So it begins, uh, and, it, and it's telling us what happens to Rebecca, the wife of Isaac. It doesn't spend a bunch of time talking about Isaac in this portion. It does a little bit, but the, the bulk of the story is really what happens to Rebecca, his wife, uh, when she begins to conceive. Let me read for you from, again, beginning at chapter uh, 25 and verse 20. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Param Aran, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Now, we're not really sure who she went to inquire of the Lord, but she actually went to someone, and someone pronounced uh, this prophetic word over. Speculation is that it may have been Seth. Some others have said maybe it was Melchizedek. But in any case, she goes to get this counsel, and in verse 23, here's the prophetic word. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples shall be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red, all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. And Esau actually means, you know, hairy, um, red and hairy. And afterward, his brother came forth with his hand holding onto Esau's heel. So they named him Yaakov, Jacob, and Esau, uh, Isaac, was um, 60 years old when he gave birth. Um, the name Yaakov, that's the way it's pronounced in Hebrew, is actually a combination of a Hebrew letter with the word ikev. The word ikev means heel. But the yod, the yah that's in front, is the symbol for a hand. So it's the hand on a heel. So then it becomes Yaakov. Uh, is actually the meaning of its name. It's exactly as to how he was born that that's how he got his name, the testimony of him holding on to the heel of Esau. Uh, so it goes on to say that uh, uh, now... The first was red all over, and so we talked about Esau and him. And the name, the specific activity for Jacob is what you know, produced his name. And then it says, uh, verse 27, And when the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. It means also that he was a shepherd. You know, that uh, whereas Esau went out and harvested game, uh, uh, Jacob stayed and, and shepherded sheep. And uh, it says here, verse 28, Now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So the father, Isaac, loves Esau 
the mother Rebekah loves Jacob. It was Rebekah who got the prophecy that specifically said that the older Esau would be serving Jacob. Now, there's also another twist that I want you to take note of because the translators said, but Rebekah loved um, Jacob. They do it in contrast to the first part of the sentence. In the Hebrew, it's actually the present tense. It actually should literally be saying that Rebekah loves Jacob. One is in the past tense. One is in the present tense. And it, it speaks to um, they, you know, enjoying things of the past versus what is, where's the action at? And the action is really in the present tense. Uh, verse 29, And when Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, Please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there, for I am famished. Therefore his name was called Edom. Edom means red. And so... The Edomites are those that descend from uh, Edom, from Esau. But Jacob said, first, sell me your birthright. Actually, that's not what it says in the Hebrew. What it says is in the Hebrew, it says, today, sell me your uh, birthright. Again, going back to the present tense, he's not talking about a logic. Uh, you know, the translators are saying, well, there's an exchange going to take place. We'll talk about that a little bit more. And the idea is that, well, Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of lentil stew. Uh, but here, the emphasis is on is what is the action of that day. Now, let's talk about that for a moment. Um, from other sources, uh, from the book of Yasher and other commentary that is done on this passage, what is the event that's actually taking place here? What, what, why is it that he came in from the field, he'd been traveling somewhere, and, and, uh, and Jacob's there cooking this lentil stool? What, what's the deal? Well, the, re the reason is, because the background is, it was Abraham's funeral. And oh, by the way, it's traditional, Hebrews, that when you have a funeral, there is a mourner's meal that is made. And they usually will either cook lentils or anything that is round. Um, and the reason why it's round is they're recognizing the cycle of life. You are born and you live your life and then your life comes to an end. And so there's a cycle to life. And so lentils are little round, um, um, almost like pea-like um, things. And... Um, which, by the way, are pretty tasty if you make a stew out of them. <clears throat> and so they use that as a mourner's meal. So they just believed that this was an ancient mourner's meal. Now, traditionally, what's supposed to happen is that when you have the passing of a father, that the duty of the firstborn is to prepare this meal for the guests. Now, Esau is the firstborn. And instead of being there to do that, to render honor to his grandfather, Abraham, and to his father, Isaac, he's been out running around doing whatever he did, and he has, has basically shown up to the funeral late, shown up just in time for the food. And so he says, hey, let me have some of that stuff to eat. 
And part of the reason why you have Jacob saying, today, sell me your birthright, is because he's doing the duty of the firstborn, and of which Esau doesn't seem to be interested in doing the duty of the firstborn. So he's telling him, well, why don't you give me your birthright and so I can do what I'm doing here because I'm really doing what the firstborn should do. That's the logic behind this. And so he said, today, sell me your birthright because today I'm doing the honor and the work of the firstborn. I need it today. It's not an exchange just for a bowl of soup. It's far more meaningful and understood to have to do with the honor that the firstborn should be rendering to their grandfather Abraham. And uh, so it goes on to say, verse 32, And Esau said, Behold, I'm about to die. So of what use then is the birthright to me? Well, let me translate that for you just a little bit. He wasn't about to die. He was going to get fed. He was going to be fine. He's going to go on to live just fine. So that's a completely facetious statement that he's making. So what is he really saying? He's saying, my birthright has no value to me. I don't value it. And in fact, he's basically saying, I don't even value it to the level of a bowl of lentil stew. I don't even value it that much. I don't value it at all. So if that's what you want, you got it, is basically the deal that's doing. Verse 33, and Jacob said, today swear to me. Not first swear to me, today swear to me. At which point it says, so he swore to him, and he sold his birthright to Jacob. Now it uses the term sold, but the question is, for what? Everybody traditionally says, oh, it was for a bowl of soup. Now, you know, uh, Esau did not even consider his birthright to be equal to a bowl of soup. That was simply what was exchanged. And the, really the swearing of it is far more meaningful than the actual exchange of the soup. The exchange of the soup is almost like an afterthought because Esau has already taken the position that it has no value to him. He doesn't want to do the duties of the firstborn. I didn't show up. I could care less about my father, grandfather Abraham. I have no value in it. Okay? And uh, so it says, uh, verse 34, then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. He diminished the value of it, you know. And even though of twins, he was the firstborn and had that right, you know, he despised it. He considered it of no value to him. Now, let me tell you that as a result of this, God's going to make a rather interesting statement about this whole thing. And he's going to say, Esau I hated, Jacob I loved. And a lot of people, when they first hear that phrase, they go, well, gee, that's not very fair of God, you know, to say that. Um, and they get the idea, what is even worse, they get the idea that somehow uh, the stage is being set for Jacob to steal Esau's birthright. It is an established fact that we have two things that are clear on this issue at this point. Number one, God prophesied to the mother, Rebekah, 
the older will serve the younger. Number two, the older despised his birthright. He considered it of no value. And he did so in a derogatory manner toward his grandfather Abraham at his funeral. Now let me give you kind of a real-world example of how this might work out. Let's say that you have um, a grandfather in your family, wonderful man, he's been instrumental in helping the whole family, and the whole family has benefited from him, but you got this one kid, this one kid who doesn't really plug into the family, is off doing whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it. He's, he's a, he shows no honor and respect to his own father, to his own family, or to this grandfather. And he shows up late for the funeral. He knows about it, but he shows up late. And the only thing he wants to do at the funeral is, what do you got to eat? He eats something, and he packs up, and he walks out. He doesn't do anything else but do that. What do you think the chances are that the entire family is going to be sorely offended by his behavior? And oh, by the way, what do you think the chances are that somebody in the family might actually come up to him and say, you know what, you don't need to be a part of this family anymore. You're not really a part of the family, so adios. Well, in the, in the strongest terms possible, that's what took place here. As far as I'm concerned, God's judgment, Esau, I've hated, Jacob, I've loved, is a pretty righteous judgment because if that were to happen in my family, I would be more than upset that some youngin would not respect, you know, an elder, an ancestor before them. So the stage is now set. This event has taken place. We believe that Esau and Jacob were approximately 15 years old at this point. You know, that's based on spacing out the ages of the different men and, and so forth. Uh, chapter 26. Now there was a famine in the land, and besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham, so Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. Now what follows here is almost a repeat to what happened to Abraham when he went down to see Pharaoh. He says his wife, Rebekah, is not really his wife, it's his sister. The same thing, he's fearful that someone will kill him for the benefit of his wife. And so his wife plays along with it. But just like with Pharaoh, they get caught um, doing some intimate things together and it suddenly realized, oh, no, this, this woman is his wife and so he is cast off from the Philistines and um, so that he can go. And it, it, it's like what happens to the father happens to the son. And this is a case that shows, if you will, the character flaw that existed with Abraham and with Isaac. Then notice they were fearful and it affected their character. And let me tell you why I think Moses included these stories in here for us to see. God is in the business of using what I call cracked earthen vessels to carry the incredible substance of himself. There's none that are perfect. There are none that are good except for the Messiah. Abraham was a great guy, but he wasn't perfect. 
Isaac was a great guy, but he wasn't perfect. Same with Jacob. You know, each of these are real men, real people, just like you and me. And oh, by the way, I am definitely not perfect. Yet God has chosen to use me just like he chooses to use you. And he doesn't choose us to use us because we're righteous. He chooses to use us because we're yielded to him. And that's the key. And being cracked earthen vessels that we are, I am extremely thankful that God from the very beginning was willing to use a man like Abraham uh, and all the way down to me and to other brethren that we have. It speaks to God's mercy and his grace uh, to us. So let's move forward now. Here's Isaac. And he's dealing with the Philistines. Abimelech is the king of the Philistines. And essentially, he sets up and he becomes to do well. And, um, and uh, he's drawing water and, and doing very well. Well, uh, the Philistines became envious of him, the scripture says. And they proceed to, they're trying to choke out what's going on. And so they proceed to stop the wells up that Abraham had dug that he was using and to force him away. The, um, uh, the argument that was being made by the Philistines was, yes, uh, we know this well belongs to you and to your father. However, and this is logic, the water that's in the well has actually leaked from our water, our lands, and it's flowed into your well, so you're actually stealing our water. And if you stop and think about it, that's utterly ridiculous. Um, however, that's the same logic that's being used today in the Middle East. The um, Palestinians sold the land to Jewish immigrants into the land. They sold the land to them for outrageous prices. And they sold the land to them when it was swamp, like up in the Hula Valley, or it was a rejected land. No, no Palestinian wanted to do anything with it. Uh, but the Jews got a hold of it, and they suddenly turned the land prosperous. And they're doing well. They're succeeding and so forth. And the Palestinians are going, oh, my gosh, these, these Jewish people here in the land they're succeeding and doing well and increasing in wealth and, and power and strength. And so they're envious of them. So they're basically going around and saying, you stole the land. Just like they said with Isaac, you stole the water. And um, the argument that's being made today in the negotiations for the Middle East peace agreement, there is biblical evidence and modern evidence that the Jewish people purchased every piece of land in the confines of what we call the promised land. There's been no great confiscation of Palestinians' lands. Each one were deeded out and purchased for outrageous prices, I might add. But to see the Jews, they would collect up the money, and I believe the organization was the Jewish National Fund, JNF, and they collect the money up to purchase land from Palestinians so Jews could live there. And now that they're succeeding and, and doing well, the Palestinians are claiming, oh, you stole the land. It's really our land. 
you know, for it. By the way, there is land that is sitting right in the middle of Tel Aviv that was owned by a Palestinian who, at the War of Independence, his, him and his family fled. They thought the Jews were going to kill him. They fled. And to this day, there's a chain-link fence around that land, and no Jew is permitted on that land. They're waiting for the rightful owner, who's this Palestinian or who can his heirs, to come in and rightfully claim the land. We're talking about prime land in Tel Aviv. And the Jews have preserved what was their ownership and only used that which they purchased themselves. Part of the logic here with Isaac is that he's, he's living next door with the Philistines, but he's prospering, and they are so envious of him and hate him so much because he's being successful, they keep pushing him off. So they keep stopping up his wells and forcing him to go farther. And he's going to go through three stages of places where he will go until he finally comes to a place. And actually, they name uh, these places where he's at. One of them is called, and this is verse uh, 20, one of them is called Esek, which means contention. And uh, the, the next one is uh, Sitna, and Sitna means obstruction or being cursed. Um, and in fact, it's actually part of the root word that where we get Satan from. And then finally, the last place is called Rehoboth, and that is, means broad places. And, and uh, Isaac is going to say, well, the Lord has finally taken us to us where there's a broad place where that we can live uh, you know, with them over there and we over here. And because of the mistreatment that was done, there was no question that Abimelech knew this was going on. He finally comes to the point where he visits Isaac and he sits down and he says, I want to make a covenant with you. He said, uh, I want to make a covenant that you'll swear that your descendants will not come and, and harm my descendants. And so Isaac enters into this covenant you know, for, for this, and so they agreed that they would not harm each other. So Israel, uh, through Isaac, has made this agreement that they would not harm, harm them. To this day, to this day, and this was part of the rationale why Israel doesn't insist on having the Gaza. The Gaza Strip was that region where the Philistines were at. And in fact, when um, Ariel Sharon was the prime minister, he willingly agreed to give up that land where the Jews had settled there, purchased and settled there, gave it up and turned it over to the Palestinians, including their incredible greenhouses and, and the functions they had set up uh, for it, under part of the banner of this that, that uh, Isaac pulled back until there was a broad place so there would be no conflict. And Israel is pulled back from the Gaza Strip so there'll be no conflict. Well, guess what? There's lots of conflict there. I'm sure that you're aware of the news reports throughout the years. They've taken the ground where the Jews used to live, where they used to have these beautiful greenhouses and grow all kinds of fruits and vegetables. And they now use that as the area for launching rockets against Israel. 
And it's very clear now that in, with regard to the harm of Israel, that Ariel Sharon probably should not have done that militarily. But part of the rationale as to why he was able to give that up is based on the story of Isaac and Isaac withdrawing, pulling back uh, from them uh, in the course of their negotiations. So they, um, and it concludes here in chapter 26, it says specifically of Esau, going back to that story, verse 34, when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Bari, the Hittite, and Bazamath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Apparently Esau's wives um, were a pain in the keister. Um, and whereas Esau couldn't control himself, he couldn't control his own house, and it just caused grief and harm to his parents uh, for anything that they were going to do. And it's fascinating that the Bible would record for us this family disagreement. That's how pervasive the conflict was building with Esau and with Jacob and so forth. Now we come to the chapter where we're going to have um, Isaac is ready to pass down the birthright and so he's going to approach Esau about, hey, go out and harvest some of that good game, bring it back, prepare it for me, and I'll give you the birthright blessing. So the story shifts down to chapter 27. Now it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see that he called his older son Esau and said to him, my son, he said, here I am. Isaac said, behold, I am old and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, please take your gear, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare a savory dish for me, such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, so that my soul may bless you before I die. And Rebekah was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for the game to bring home, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Behold, I heard that your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Before we go any further, Esau didn't value his birthright when he wanted something to eat. Isaac wants something to eat this time and Esau is going to lose out on his birthright at this meal. He gave it up, and now he will definitely lose it the second time. So right off the bat, I want to ask you, you know, because most Bible teachers say, well, Jacob is a deceiver. He's a supplanter. And most Bible teachers teach that. They're actually quoting the words from Esau. Esau is the one who said that Jacob was a supplanter. He was a deceiver. Um, was he really a deceiver? Was he following the prophecy that his mother had been given from God? Was he following the counsel of his mother when he decided to do that? Did Esau already 
devalue his birthright and say and swear that Jacob could have it? Yes to all of those answers. So why in the world would any Bible teacher say, well, Jacob was a deceiver and a supplanter? Well, I'll tell you why they would say it. Because they're ignoring all of the evidence that's beforehand. The, uh, if a man comes up to me and he sells me, say, his car, and I um, pay him money and I get it, and he tells me, oh, I don't really want this car anyways. I've got other cars. I, I don't really need this car, and so whatever. If then later on, after I have had the car for a while, he sees how I've remodeled the car and I've put a new paint job on it and, and I'm driving it around. I'm very happy to have this car and other people are other admiring the car and he remembers, hey, that was his car back a long time ago. What would you say to him if he suddenly stood up and he said, no, that's really my car and he stole it from me? What would you say to him? You would, and, and then he claimed that, uh, that I was a thief. Am I really a thief? Or is he lying? And what kind of person would you be if you agreed with that other person who was making that accusation against me just because he wanted the car back because he liked it now, after the fact? Um, that's what we have in the story of Esau and Jacob. That's, that's the dynamics that we're talking about here. So let's listen on to him. Verse 8, Rebekah is now saying to Jacob, now, therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you. Go now to the flock, bring him two choice kids from there, and I will, that I may prepare a savory dish for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall bring it to your father, and that he may eat, so that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob answered his mother, Rebekah, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man, uh, perhaps my father will, will um, uh, feel me, and then I shall be as a deceiver in his sight. And I shall bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Your curse be upon me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for it. Wow. Jacob has raised a reasonable question about what's going on, and his mother is insisting, no, any curse that comes out, you put it on me. Yet, to this day, people put the curse on Jacob and calling him the names that they call him. Verse 14, so he went and got them, brought them to his mother. His mother made a savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the garments from Esau, her elder son, which were with her in the house, put them on Jacob, <coughs> her younger son, and she put the skins of the kids on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. She also gave the savory food and the bread which she had made to her son Jacob. Remember, this is savory food and a piece of bread, just like the earlier meal. Then he came to his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Get up, please, sit, and eat with my game 
that you may bless me. And Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord your God has caused it to happen to me. By the way, you should underline those words because this is what exactly what is happening. God is causing Jacob to receive this blessing. This has been orchestrated and planned by God to have happened. By the way, for those of you who think that God doesn't have the right to do it, I would remind you that Almighty God is sovereign. And if he wants the blessing to go on this particular person as opposed to that other person, then this is how he wants to build his kingdom, he certainly has the right and authority to do so. And so that statement was particularly true in this case. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you really are my son Esau or not. So Jacob came close to Isaac, his father. He felt him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Stop and think about this. If you took the skin of a small goat and you made a glove or whatever for him to feel, I guess this Esau guy really was pretty hairy. Uh, that he would be uh, uh, considered the, the skin of a, of a kid, of a goat, and its fur, you know, to be that of him. And he recognizes that the voice doesn't sound like he saw, it really sounds like Jacob. And he defers not to what he hears, but he defers to what he feels in his judgment to accept it. Plus the fact that I think Isaac at this point is hungry, and he wants that meal. So he's hoping that all this is working out. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother's hands, so he blessed him. And he said, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. Now, at some point, you could then say, well, he was deceptive to his father. You know, he should have answered the question, truly, I am not. However, he had been instructed by his mother, who was following a prophecy, to represent himself as his brother Esau. So who's really responsible for that? The responsibility really falls upon Rebecca. And by the way, she said, should there be a curse on this, may it be on me. So he said, bring it to me, and I will eat my son's game that I may bless you. He brought it to him. He would also brought him wine and, and drink. Then his father Isaac said to him, please come close and kiss me, my son. So he came close, kissed him, and when he had smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is like the smell of the field which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you the dew of the heaven, the fatness of the earth, the abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you, be master of your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you, blessed be those who bless you. Remember that blessing that in Genesis 12, 3? You know, God said to Abraham, I will bless those that bless thee, I will curse those that curse thee. Here's pronouncing the original blessing that was on Abraham. He's pronouncing it on to Isaac. Now, it came about as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had uh, hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, 
that Esau brought his brother, his brother came in from hunting. Then he also made savory food and brought it, brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father rise and eat his son's game that you may bless me. And Isaac, his father, said to him, Who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently. He said, Well, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate all of it before you came and blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. And when Esau heard the words of his brother, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, uh, even me also, O my father. And he said, Your brother has deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Then he said, Is he not rightly named Yaakov, hand on the, hand on the heel? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you reserved a blessing for me? But Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him your master, and all of his relatives I have given to him as servants, and your grain and new wine I have sustained him. Now as for you, what can I do for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me. Even also, my father, so Esau lifted his voice and wept. Uh, before I go any further, one of the commentaries that's on this, that they said that had you heard the cry of Esau on the day that this took place, they said it was the, the worst cry of despair that had ever been uttered by a man that this was true sorrow and despair when Esau discovered what he had lost. He lost his birthright and he lost the blessing. Now for some reason, Jacob, or excuse me, Esau had the idea that he could get rid of the birthright, but he would still get the blessing. By the way, this is such a, a, a lesson, you know, for children that is a terrible one that they have to learn sometimes. The, there are many, many situations where um, the child is explained to them that you get the blessing if you obey. If you do that which is right, you'll, you'll get it. And what they will do is not do the correct thing, but they still expect the blessing. They'll still expect uh, the good things you know, to have happen. Teenagers especially go through this, where they begin to sow, for the first time, rebellion against parents. And they have no idea that if they were obedient and respectful, that this is what sets the stage for them to get a car from their parents or their dad, be able to pay for go to college and other kinds of things. But we live in a world today where there's open disrespect and yet they claim to still get the blessing. They're not really getting it. And there's a day coming when there will be a cry that will come up from that person, like Esau's cry, a great cry of despair, uh, when they suddenly realized they don't really get that which is satisfying. And so that's what we see by way of this example here. Um, so again, let's review. He took away my birthright, and behold, he's taken away my blessing. 
How did he lose the birthright? He devalued it and threw it away. How did he lose the blessing? That was because of his mother and a prophecy that God had given, and the mother had orchestrated the events. Um, the mother probably was irritated at him about his wives. If you remember from the previous thing, it said his wives caused grief for Rebecca. So Rebecca, you know, was giving a little grief back, so to speak. Now, as to how righteous that is or unrighteous that is, again, we're talking about cracked earth and vessels here. We're talking about people, and this is the reality, and this is what God permitted to have happen. And this is how things work. And what we're going to find from here on out is that God is orchestrating events. Not everything is going to be hunky-dory with Jacob's children as it was with Esau's children. But we will see how God will work out his plan and to go forward with his plan for establishing his kingdom. <coughs> Pardon me. So here we come to, um, <clears throat> and Esau said to his father, verse 30, 38, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me also, O my father. So uh, Esau lifted his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the new heaven, uh, new heaven from above. And by your sword you shall live, and your brother you shall serve. But you shall come about when you have become, uh, become restless, that you shall break his yoke from your neck. Meaning, while the blessing is put upon Jacob that you will serve him, there will come a moment when you will break away from Jacob. That's the best blessing he can give to him. And what's going to follow here? is how those things transpire, how Esau is going to be separated from Jacob, how they, they, they are separated. And by the way, there's a great theme here that speaks to at the global level, at the world level, with regard to um, uh, what God is doing with all of mankind. There's a teaching that we call the two-seed teaching where God has a certain seed that is going through carrying out his plan, but the devil who's in contention with the Lord, he has a parallel seed that is contrary to God's seed. And we see that beginning to take shape specifically in the Esau-Jacob conflict, of which is born out of this. You can take this controversy between Esau and Jacob right now walk right over to the modern Middle East, and you've got exactly the same conflict. Philistines feel like that they were entitled, that they had the birthright, that the land belongs to them. They claim Abraham, and they believe they should be having it, and here comes these Jews, these Israelis, and they're saying, no, from Abraham it went to Isaac, from Isaac it went down to Jacob. It didn't go through Esau. And the Palestinians are descendants of Esau. And so this conflict has been set up in the land of Israel. And it's the same issues that was in this beginning. If you really want to study the Middle East and understand the conflict, you have to go all the way back to this story. Modern 
leaders today are trying to solve the Palestinian and Israeli problem, and they are devoid of the understanding of what's really going on based on this biblical story. Those leaders who understand that story are able to accomplish some things in the Middle East and to resolve it. And the way to resolve it is to basically say to the Palestinians, and I know, you know some people might politically think this is terrible for me to say, not very fair, but I'm basing it on the biblical principles and basing it on the statement of Isaac, their common father. He said, hey, Esau, you're going to serve Jacob. Jacob is going to be the one that gets the blessings. Now, Jacob is not going to hurt you. You will have to serve him. So what is the solution in the Middle East? Well, the Palestinians can live in the land of Israel, but they're going to be under Israeli control. And by the way, every time Israel makes a gain and so forth, things calm down. The Palestinians calm down. Their businesses get thriving. Their families are taken care of. It's only the Palestinian leadership that are constantly looking for violence, and which is what Esau is going to want to do, and to violently harm, um, as Esau wanted to harm Jacob, um, the Palestinians want to harm the Israelis uh, in the course of this event. Again, it's mimicking and following the pattern that we have set here in this portion. So now we've got serious conflict. Um, Jacob not only has the birthright, he now has the blessing, and Esau is, is, is understanding what's going on. Here's what uh, comes in the um, aftermath of that. Um, verse 41. So Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. I will let Isaac die so he doesn't see it, then I'm going to kill Jacob. Uh, now when the words of her elder son Esau were reported to Rebekah, she sent and called her younger son Jacob and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau is consoling himself concerning you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice and arise and flee to Haran to my brother Laban and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury subsides, until your brother's anger against you subsides and he forgets what you did to him. Then I shall send and get you and from there why should I be bereaved of you both in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am tired of living because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heth like these, from the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? And basically what he's saying is, is that she considered to take the daughters of the land from the Hittites or whatever like Esau had done that that was the least possible choice for Jacob. So she wants to send him back to Haran, just like Abraham sent Eliezer to find Rebekah. Rebekah is saying, go back to that place to find a proper wife, the descendants of Abraham, of that family, for um, uh, Jacob, for him to have. And thus the stage is set for Jacob to then begin to flee and leave um, his father and his mother to escape the wrath 
of Esau. Chapter 28. So Isaac called Jacob, blessed him, charged him, and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Paramaran, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and from there take yourself a wife from the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. And may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he also give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your descendants to you, that you may possess the land of your sojourners, which God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Paramaran and Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paramaran to take to himself a wife from there, and that what he had blessed him, he charged him, saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Potamaran. So Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan displeased his father Isaac, and Esau went to Ishmael and married because of the wives that he had, and it then gives the names of his new wives. So Esau is trying to make amends, trying to get back on track, but he's already, a lot of water's gone over the dam and a lot of harm has already taken place. So here's Esau now. He's trying to get along uh, you know, with his father and his mother. He's gotten rid of the daughters of, of Heth. He's trying to get new wives. He's trying to do it again. It's not going to work. Uh, marrying a new gal is not going to straighten your life out. Um, and, and essentially, he's trying to do things in his own power instead of looking to the things that God could have done. Whereas God is putting the blessing on Jacob and is going to lead him forth. And in the next portion, for the next, uh, we're going to see how Jacob will approach this problem by coming before the Lord and making an agreement with the Lord for his life, whereas Esau did not make an agreement for his life before the Lord. Jacob will do so. So until next Shabbat, Shabbat Shalom. And we'll continue the story of Jacob.